Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to The Suitcase and The Scribe with award-winning journalist Scott Burnside and former NHL goaltender Mike McKenna, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside here. Another edition of The Suitcase and The Scribe. Mike McKenna. Mike, I can't, I'm so, I'm always excited to catch up, but I was so excited at the prospect of our chat today because there are a million things going on. I was going to reach out to Liam, the man who makes it all happen behind the machinery and say, can we go for like three hours today? But no, (laughs) we cannot, in spite of the fact that we probably have enough material to talk about for a day and a half. And it's just been what a zany first two plus months, or I guess we're just closing in on the first two or the two month uh, mark of the season. Uh, So let's start. I want to ask you this question. What do you think the odds would have been? And you spent time in Vegas. So I think, you know, these things, (laughs) if you'd gone to Vegas and said, I'm, I'm putting money down on Jason Spezza getting a six game suspension. And what 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 are the odds? What what do you think, David? <laughs> well, I, I I think you might be maybe overstating my ability with gambling, but <laughs> I would say that you would unquestionably make a very tidy sum on that bet. Let's just say that. Oh, and my. I mean, I, listen, like you've covered Jason Spezza. I played with Jason Spezza, and. Yeah. Here's the thing, though. He plays with more of an edge than people realize sometimes, you know, yeah. and I think that just comes from his his passion for the sport and his passion for winning. You know, I, I've seen it firsthand and the level of seriousness that he has. And um, I tell you what, when he went after Neil Pionk with that hit. I mean, that was about the most intent I've ever seen to try to bury somebody in a game in a long time. And yeah. and I and I'm sure. Sure. If you asked Jason now, he'd say I got carried away. You know, that's that's my presumption of it, because I mean, he he was laser focused on Pionk, man. He was going to hit him whether Pionk was getting a drink out of the water bottle or standing, you know, there for he was going to get hit. Um, And I think it's just unfortunate that his knee ended up in his head because that's not I, I can't imagine anybody tries to do that. But that is what happened. Yeah, he did target Pionk and. You know, I mean, I think, I think in this case, I guess six games, it ended up being six and, you know, it's, it's warranted. 
for yeah. for the one of the best guys to play in the game, man. Like I would just never expect it of a Scott. Like you covered him, you wouldn't expect this either, would you? No, well, he's true. I think we probably talked about it on the show, but certainly one of the most thoughtful players that I've covered. And I, to me, he's a guy that will almost certainly, assuming he wants to, it, like he, mm-hmm. me, he can do anything he wants. He can be a coach. He can certainly be a GM, senior executive. Yes. He's got the brain for it and, and the passion. And I guess what I was struck with, and I wonder when, when you were watching that game or you went back and watched the highlights, I mean, that game was, that was a, a festival, right? Like it, it was it, messy. It was off the charts. <laughs> and I, and I, you know, you and I, I think are, have, are of a similar mind. I, I don't like to take pot shots at the officials. I, I think that's a, it's a bit of a mugs game. It's the hardest game in the world to officiate. But I do think that was to me one of those games that if you get if you get on it early, and, mm-hmm. and you know, part of the reason Jason Spessa was so upset was he felt there was a dirty hit from Neil Pionk on Rasmus Sandin, who was out for two to three weeks, I think. And right. I think they felt it was gonna be way worse than that. And and that what went uncalled and then it became this sort of frontier justice. I mean, Wayne Simmons was out on it at the end. Oh, like, the oh my check. God. That was, oh, you don't want to open the Wayne Simmons door. No, I don't think you do. But that was this whole thing. And then, you know, for me, watching Paul Maurice really lose his mind with the officials as this all was unfolding, especially towards the end of the game, in a game that the, the Jets had well in hand. To me, that, you know, that's, you, I mean, you this became frontier justice. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the last thing the NHL wants to have happen. And now they, I, you know, I'm with you. Six games seems like a lot for Jason Spezza. That's a nasty piece of work there. Neil Pionk suspended as well after the fact, mm-hmm. even though he's in concussion protocol, you clean up the mess after, but geez, it would have been nice if you'd nipped it in the bud and we're not having this conversation. Well, you know what? Paul Maurice hasn't lost his 25 grand. <laughs> How does that <laughs> and, happen? I mean, and, like, listen, you know, I, I contribute to the Canes. I provide content. So, you know, like I'm, whether people think I'm biased or not, I, I could care. But it is. And it did come. <laughs> I've seen it come up on social media where it appeared that Paul crossed a line even more egregiously than, yeah. than Rod Brindamore did. Maybe maybe Paul was just yelling at the refs, the recipe for gingerbread men cookies. Maybe that's what it was. That could be it. We don't know, I, Scott. Uh, I, I read some of the lips. Unless, oh, okay. You unless can see he on his uses lips. a lot of different <laughs> adjectives for cooking than you and I do. but It's a different technique to prep the eggs. Um, but you know what? I, I do think you have a point there. And I, like you say, the referees to me, man, I never – I think they have so much less of a factor in games than people want to admit in terms of the actual outcome but the policing of the game is something that's very real and in this case like you said it turned into street justice really quickly yeah i think it was just based on that initial hit from pionk and you know whenever a knee goes out i I mean to me i think you just penalize that no matter what really like i don't know how both guys can miss something that looks that way with a player down, even if you err on the side of caution and maybe you make the wrong call on that play, I'd rather see that call, you know? And that's where I think it all did stem from is like, Hey man, this guy got off scot-free. We're not going to let that happen. Yeah. You know? And, and you can bet that on that bench, this was a very real discussion. Like, Hey, we're going to bury that guy. Like we're going to, he's taking it the rest of the game. And And I think, hey, don't forget, Scott, that me, that 
there's a real element of the Leafs, frankly, trying to prove they're not a pushover. Yeah, no, I think that's, and I think you're right on. Yeah, I think that, and I think that there's some, man, there's some valor to that, honestly. Like, I can't see it. I, I can't stand seeing anybody get injured. Yeah. I don't like the Pionks and concussion protocol. I don't like that uh, Sandine is injured uh, with yeah. the knee injury. But I tell you what, man, I love seeing passionate hockey, and that's what we saw. Yeah. If we could avoid the injuries, I'm all in. Yeah. Um, but I do think that this is – we're getting to the point where, man, teams are really trying to establish themselves. And you look at Spezza, Simmons, like – they know what it takes, man, and they're willing to do it. I want to ask you, because we're going to talk about another uh, really troubling, I mean, just so hard to watch, that hit last night, Jacob Trubon, oh. Kahara. Yeah, I hope I've said that close to properly. Yeah. But, but before, I, I, I'm really curious what you think of that. Um, it's sort of in a different vein, but but the reaction to that hit was was very similar uh, We to what we talked about with the Winnipeg-Toronto thing. I mean, you've mm-hmm. been in locker rooms. I, I sometimes I always hate, I got to tell you, I hate when someone gets clocked with a clean hit and then a teammate has to fight the guy who hit him. Like I yep. hate that to me, that should it's be a big hit. You got to fight him. Yeah. What? Well, like why? I, I agree. I like, I think to me that should be automatic game suspension or game yeah. misconduct, get out. But I, with something else that's maybe, you know, in that more gray area or certainly it's not really much gray about the Spezza hit or, or mm-hmm. frankly, the Pionk hit on uh, Sandine as a player, when you see someone jump into the fray like that or challenge a player like uh, late in the game, later in that game between the Rangers and Chicago, mm-hmm. I think it was Sillinger uh, fought uh, Truba, not Sillinger. Yes. I think it was. Yeah. Yes. Um, we can look at the box score if we need to here. Sure. <laughs> Sorry. It was the Stillman kid, I think. So anyway, we'd look at the box score. Um, anyway, challenge of Truba. It's like, it's like a rite of passage, but, but, and I, I don't like it too much. I, I think it's a bit ridiculous, but I'm, I'm not a player. And I wonder in a room, are, do the, are those things meaningful? Like do people like do, how, how, how important if at all is that kind of statement after the fact, especially if, if it's, if it's what's deemed a dirty play. Mm. Well, it's palpable, you know, in the locker room, it's talked about, it's just the way it is. That guy's going to have to answer the bell. How many times have I heard that in a locker room before? And, uh, you know, I'm when players get throttled and somebody's hurt, you know what I really don't like to see is a big dog pile of people fighting because you got skate blades flying around. You got trainers on the ice. You got a guy knocked out. Like in that type of scenario, if you really are hell bent on justice, like, just get it at the next face off. Like let the player that's injured be tended to. Yes. But uh, it, it's, it, it's, it's a real thing in locker rooms that it takes a lot, but when a hit like that happens, it's like somebody knows they got to step up and do it. And what I do find to be kind of interesting, like, it, it's, it's rare to, it's rare to hockey, I guess, maybe that you'll find guys who typically wouldn't be the ones to drop the gloves or do anything that do in those scenarios. Yeah. And you know, I, I still think that fighting in hockey is best served by two players who are really angry at each other in the heat of the moment. I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I tell you what, like, I don't really think suspensions and fines and lost wages matter a lot. I don't. Not the way the I, fine structure is. It's, it's like, I don't. It's like, here's, here's my loose change. It makes no right. sense. 
yeah, I'm going to stick a guy in the balls, five grand guys will put 10 grand on the board before a game for a team dinner. You know what I mean? Like you think that you think it even bothers them to find somebody to be fine like that. And like suspensions, even two, three, four game, five suspensions, like kind of whatever, man, people are missing games with COVID for five, six games now. And does it hurt your wallet a little bit? Yeah. But you're playing, making plenty of cash. And, and I think that sometimes that fear of getting your getting beat up is still pretty real, man. Like yeah. doesn't happen often, but like a guy gets caught hard in a fight and they'll think twice about doing stuff. And mm-hmm. I mean, we had, there was another, you know, another knee on knee last night. Ian Cole had a knee on knee. And, and, yeah. you know, I, I look at these and I don't see any of these knee on knees to be intentional, mm-hmm. but I see them as reckless because you can't lead with your knee. You can't reach out with your shoulder and knee like Pionk did. And that's where I think you've got to put the onus on the player to realize, hey, like, even if I'm not trying to hurt somebody, like, I have to be in control of my body. Yeah. Same thing with, I mean, Subban slew foot and everybody, you know, and, and he's not getting suspended or penalized. On it. No, like, he gets nothing. Yeah, I, <laughs> I'm fines. right. So yeah. I, it's on the players 100%, but I think it is real that, you know, you get, you get, you pop somebody like that and you got to answer the bell, like, there's not many players that want to do that anymore. I guess I'll say that, Scott. Yeah. It has changed. <laughs> yeah, it, it was Riley Stillman, by the way, who, yes. who fought the trip well, afterwards. And how about later in the game when I've never seen Dylan Strom so mad in my life yeah. going after Ryan Carpenter. Like, he was incensed. I didn't see what happened earlier in the play, but Dylan Strom is so mad that the, the linesman get in. He's reaching over the linesman to try to get at Carpenter. Like, at one point, Dylan Strom's hand is like, a half an inch from the linesman's ear. It looks like he's going to give him a wet willy on accident. Like I, I'm dying laughing at this, but there was some real passion to this game. Same yeah. thing. So what, what, what did you make of the, what, what do you make of the hit? And, 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 you know, I think we are, we are, you know, at least on in the, you know, us on this side of the, the game, we often, uh, you know, fall back immediately to is, is that a, a good hit, a clean hit? We, you know, we're trying to parse through, you know, what the sort of the mechanics of it, you know, car is, uh, you know, he's crushed by this hit pucks in his yeah. skates. Truba is a big boy and almost immediately stretched off the ice. And it's just, it's makes you heart sick to watch. Uh, I, what's your, I mean, what, what was your, what was your takeaway from it? Well, the cold 1998 version of myself says, yes. I just got lasered. That's all that happened. Yeah. But I don't think in 2021, it's the same, you oh. know, and I think we kind of go back to looking out for one another in some ways that I will say that Truba looked like he was going to make this hit no matter what. And at some point you can't stop the freight train. And that's the hard part here is that once you're committed to that hit, it's not like you can get out of the way, but he's still, I mean, you can bear hug a guy if you have to, like he still put his shoulder down and lean into Cara and clobbered him, man. Yeah. Like, and I, I just, I have a hard time when, like, I wish there was a rule we could have that if, if you don't have eye to eye contact, you can't hit somebody. Yeah. Like even Connor McDavid's hit that he was the, the other night that he got the five in the game for and the hit from behind, you know, if you can't see the guy's eyes, don't hit him. And this is kind of the same way, even if it's a face to face hit, his head's buried. Yeah. Even if his head comes up last second, like you're still going to laser this guy. And when a head's down, it's right at shoulder level. 
Like, I think he was out before he ever hit the ice. Then he hits the ice. He hits his head on the ice. Like, I mean, Scott, it's hard to watch, man. Like, this isn't enjoyable for me to see somebody get hit like that. No. It's not. And I think, well, you know, I mean, part of it is I think we know so much more now. And so when you see that hit, I think a lot of us at least instantly are like, oh, my God, like what? You know, what are what are the repercussions? Like, not I'm not talking suspension. I'm not talking anything. I'm like, is he going to be okay? What? what is the, right. what will happen to that player and and how, can he yeah what's going to happen to him and you know i wrote a piece on marks of art uh, some time ago and i happened to be in an arena in denver where he got hit that was his final nhl game and i remember mm-hmm. thinking at the time because i knew mark and i knew what he'd gone through after the matt cook hit and you in your and that was you know that's some time ago that you wonder are you watching this player's last shift because yeah. you, 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 because you understand what, you know, and Kara's had some concussion problems and you certainly hope it, I mean, just hope that it's something else in terms of his ability to recovery. But I think we know enough now that we know that the potential for these kinds of, you know, incredible blows to the head, we don't know. And, and, and yeah. we don't know what, what is the hit that ends a player's career. And I, that's a scary thing. And I, I honestly, I love yeah. your idea because you're right. It, at like, even if, even if Jacob Trouba is completely in the right, he's, he is allowed to make that hit. I don't know. Isn't there a way where you're like, you know, is that, is it still the right hit? Is that right. still the right thing to do? I don't know. You have to take care of each other. I, I think that's, and it blows me away. That the, like we've had these meetings in, in PA sessions before where, you know, you get half the crowd saying, fine, suspend everybody forever. And the other half of the crowd that doesn't want to lose their money and money always wins. And yeah. I, I don't know. It's tough because it's, I've seen players have their career ended as you have Scott. And, and I've had friends have careers ended mm-hmm. and, and we're not just talking like the loss of livelihood and what you're doing. There's ramifications for what comes afterwards, yeah. you know? And, and I will say that thankfully, the treatment of concussions, the treatment of head injuries, of major injuries really across the board has never been at a better level. Yeah. But you still don't know the unknown with these things. And it's scary. And I mean, here, a great example, Scott. I mean, this is a, a great turn to. I mean, you talked to Kyle Lockposo soon, somebody who battled through injuries that nearly derailed a career. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I mean, sure, you can speak more to it. But when speaking with Ocposo, you know, did you get that sense that this was somebody who, man, this could have been it. It's amazing to see his resurgence at this point. Yeah, no, totally. And uh, great segue by you. Total Thank pro. You. But uh, yeah, I, I got a chance to sit down with Kyle uh, earlier this week. And uh, yeah, he and it, it was he, it would, uh, a concussion out of practice, uh, a known, you know, a teammate in a collision mm-hmm. out of practice. And it sparked all kinds of um, neurological, mental health issues, physical, like a whole battery of things that really, you know, everyone in his family, all people connected to him. I talked to Matt Molson as well, and they've mm-hmm. been tight for years and years. You know, I think, I, I think a lot of them believe that that might have been it for Kyle Ocposo. And, and to see him, I mean, listen, the Sabres are in tough. Um, they lost last night. Um, one of the greatest goals I've seen forever. Maybe we'll talk about it later before the yeah. end, but uh, Kyle Poso leads the team in scoring. He loves that room. He loves those kids there. I, you know, I talked to Don Granato and, you, you know, he, you know, he just has 
you know, thinks the world of Kyle Ocposo because he's the ultimate role model. And Kyle Ocposo speaks very candidly about, uh, yeah, of course, I, I wondered if that was it. And I wondered if I'd ever play again, if I could ever be the same player I was before. And now I really I, at, I, at times almost even the same person as before. Exactly. Yes. No, we're talking about a whole personality. Right. You know, the, and to your point, it's, it's the, it's the domino effect of, Oh, it's not just, I can't, I physically, I can't play, but what are the, what are the ramifications of that? Mm-hmm. What's that mean to your own interpersonal relationships and all those things. And finally he, you know, he's been, he's great. He's in a great space. He says, you know, I take, I never take a day for granted. And it was just, he said, I, I want to leave the game better than when I got here. And oh my gosh, I, you know, I think he's already accomplished that, but yeah. it is, it's, it does remind you that it's a, it's a razor's edge that these players walk and, Anyway, it was good to see him back, and it was it's grand of you to to mention that. Well, I, it's funny because like I still have I'm kind of intrinsically tied to Kyle Ocposo in some ways, and I love this story. Yeah, so like I I remember I mean I think this was my second NHL third NHL game. It was my first win, uh, and it was a shutout. It was in Tampa Bay, and I'll never forget it because referee Don Koharski called two minors on the New York Islanders in the last five minutes. Um, Don Koharski, by the way, was my uh, peewee coach. So I feel comfortable saying that now. I don't believe there was gamesmanship, but I don't know. Uh, but in, in any case, Akposo is one of the guys in the box. And like my teammates on Tampa start snapping it around. We're winning one nothing, but they're snapping it around on the power play. And sure enough, like high pass, slot goes through the middle, weak side support, picks it off. Akposo's coming out of the box, seven seconds left, breakaway. And I'm going, this can't be happening, man. Like we were on the power play for the last like four minutes and I'm going to get a pedal. I'm basically going to get a breakaway penalty shot with seven seconds left. And so Akposo gets it out of the box. I'll never forget. He's right-handed, comes down the wing, shoots blocker side. And I just get a piece of it, goes to the corner and I end up having my first win and shutout. But it's one of those moments in my career that I will just never forget the person, the place, the time that save as Kyle Ocposo. And I'm telling you, like Scott, he was a beast in the American mm-hmm. hockey league before he got to the NHL. And those first couple of years before things derailed, man, like you feared Kyle Ocposo. He played heavy, he could score, he had good hands. Like, and, and it's just nice to see the smile on his face and see that player again. You know, like I, I always, I always root for them like that. And yeah. He's having fun, at least within the confines of what it can be. And, and I know things aren't great in Buffalo, um, but I'm not sure that there's a couple teams out there that are having as much fun. Uh, and Philly, I don't think is having any fun, but the Canucks. So let's, we'll go, we'll go kind of two at once here, but the Canucks, Hey man, four nothing shut out the other night, Bruce Boudreaux comes in, Bruce, there it is. The fans are chanting and I, and I don't want to da- tap dance on Travis Green's grave here man because like he did everything he could yeah but you can sense a fresh a breath of fresh air in vancouver if only at least for a day yeah no it's it's a big change yeah well it's i mean when have you seen i mean we you know we talk about uh, we talked about mark bergerman being fired in montreal uh we have philadelphia making a a change in the season that now you know it it does appear lost frankly with mikey Mm -hmm. o taking over as your interim coach and then in vancouver you know the a team that i didn't know what to make of them but i thought they'd be right in the mix in the pacific and yeah and and not only do you know to me Vancouver is the fascinating part because okay if you if you change your GM in the middle of your season that's unusual 
but we've seen it happen two or three times, various mm-hmm. circumstances. Chicago, obviously, a different circumstance with Stan yeah. Bowman. Philly a couple and, of years ago, Ron Hextall goes. Right, and, exactly. You know, yeah, Chuck so Fletcher you, you comes in. Yeah. Coaches, of course, yeah, they come and go. They're disposable, right? Can't fire the whole team. That's the old thing. But when a team <laughs> fires its coach, assistant coach, GM, assistant GM, in one giant swath, mm-hmm. to me, that's the ultimate organizational failure. You're like, we are pooched. You're and, hoping uh, that like, the, you're just hoping like the janitor's still there the next day. So you have some familiarity, yeah, you know? <laughs> well, and I, it's interesting. And I wonder what you thought of it. But I talked to an executive uh, and, and listen, I've known Bruce Boudreaux for a long time. So I'll admit a certain bias. I'm so happy he's behind the bench. He's a life. Oh, 100%. Yeah. But I'm I disappointed I never got to play for him. I, <laughs> I, I actually am. Because yeah. I know he loves ice cream and I love ice cream. Anyway. <laughs> but I, I just, I, I, and I hadn't really thought of it in this way, but I did talk to an executive who said, it's kind of weird, right? I mean, you're now looking for a GM, maybe president of hockey ops in Vancouver, absolutely critical hires for a team that organizationally is in real distress. Mm-hmm. Um, but the owner basically hires the new coach. Now it's just a two year deal, right? The rest of this year, and next year, let's um, face it. It's a bandaid deal. It's, it's a, a prove it to me. Deal. Let's see if we can get this together, get it going. Yeah. But I think the ownership felt that maybe this was the most critical thing. Get a guy in who will at least bring some joy to the proceedings for the actual players on the team. And then we'll try and, you know, we'll try and fix the the bigger problem mm-hmm. in a more, you know, the, the process will be what the process is. And you can't, you don't want to hurry that. But the executive I talked to was like, I don't know, like normally your GM or president of hockey ops, they hire the coach, but right. now there'll be one there. But what did you make of the whole Vancouver thing? Cause it's, that's, you don't see that. That's a complete, that's a complete bloodletting there. Yeah. And I think it was kind of messy how it went down, you know, yeah, just absolutely. talking to people, there was a whole lot of what's going on here. Yeah. We don't know timing of things. Who's in it. Like it just, and I think it, it drug on for so long, you know, did it really take a fan throwing a Jersey on the ice? What's the precedence that's being set here? <laughs> yeah. You know, like I, I could see like, you know, watch, uh, watch like you know pittsburgh goes on a three-game losing streak and somebody tosses a jersey and it's gonna be like oh no you're not gonna get the same reaction here folks um but but uh i don't know i felt really bad for for nolan baumgarter and travis green and just how it went down really like i i felt like it was a slow motion firing and that's hard you know it's probably it's easier from the emotional side because you kind of know what's coming yeah. But it's also like, put me out of my misery enough. Like you're walking in every day thinking, when's it going to happen? And it finally does. And, yeah. and I think the players had that same feeling too. That's part of this. Like I, I, I have friends in Vancouver and man, they didn't know what to expect when they were going to the rink the next day. They didn't know yeah. who was going to be in charge. You know, they, they didn't know. And it's, it's not a fun position to be in, but it also is kind of like a clean sheet, man. Like yeah. I think if there's any message you can send that your organization couldn't get any lower Yes, that's it. That's I mean, it. <laughs> you know, and, yeah, no. yeah. And like, but I, but I do think like, it's very different than Philly, like Philly to me, even as far as they are still out, like they still think they should be competing, yeah. you know, and they're not. And I, I don't think this, well, first off, when they hired three head coaches in Elaine Vigneault, Mike Yo, and uh, mm-hmm. Michelle Terry and oh, Michelle, I, yeah, I, I just thought like, how is this going to work? <laughs> I, and it, it, it didn't, but I don't know that this is on them as much as the players there, man. Like 
they're right back to hanging their goalies out to dry like they did the last two years. And they've had good goaltending this year. Okay. Totally. Hart's game spiraled last year. Hart's been good. Martin Jones has been excellent. Truth. And where's your level of care? How do you, how do you allow seven goals against two nights in a row? And in the second night of that, after the firing, allow 50 shots. Like where, where's like, honestly, where's your give a shit meter? Like it's so low. And, and we may not be talking about everybody, but if you get three, four guys that, that tank that in terms of their caro meter, yeah, you're toast. And, and yeah, man, they're missing Hayes. They're missing Ellis. Farabee's out. Like, come on, man. Everybody's got people out right now. True. COVID injuries, like battle. You should be a better team than that. And I, I'm disappointed in Philly, Scott. Like, I, I think that that's a team that I look at the players as really just not getting it together there. Yeah. And it's not, and, and I think your point's an excellent one because it's not just a, this didn't just suddenly happen. This has been a team, you know, Chuck Fletcher's tried to change the culture there since he yeah. came in. It's, that's not a good look for a lot of the players on that team. It, right. it just is. And so I'm, I'm curious, is there, did you have a moment in your career where you had a coaching change or some sort of management upheaval in the middle of the season. Like, can I must, I remember, uh, I remember talking to Patrick Kane. Um, it, it was the year that Denny Savard started the season as a head coach. I think he, they fired him after he won his first game it was incredible. And they hired Joel Quenville. I believe they might've gone on to the Western conference final that year. And of course I went on to win three cups in six years. But I remember talking to Patrick Kane who talked about weeping he was just a boy. And he said, you know, like I, I only knew Denny Savard. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I wept when I found, I came to the rink and I found out you've been fired. And I think there's like, I went, were there moments for you? Did you ever have it happen where you're like, well, wow, this is like this, it's a real thing. Like it, it, the impact on the players, mm-hmm. whether you like a coach or a GM or not, it, it must be unsettling on, on a huge level. Yeah. Especially if players have become, become close to coaches. And, you know, I think about it at the lower levels. Um, I, when I played junior hockey, when I was 16 in the North American league in Springfield, Illinois, our head coach got fired two way, two thirds of the way through the season, um, more or less for being an asshole, uh, but for bag skating us after a game without water and keeping kids under 18 out past curfew. And um, he just, frankly, I didn't think he was a very good guy. I, I, what the, the flip side to this is I would have never had my career if I didn't get that chance. Yes. So do I owe a debt of gratitude to somebody who treated me like crap? Yeah. I guess maybe I do in some Stockholmian way. I don't know. But like great word, by there, the way, Stockholm. Th- thank you. Uh, but there were players on that team when he got fired that were really upset. Yeah, because they kind of had tied their wagons to him. They were the older guys on the team. He loved them and it really affected them. Yeah. Not me. I mean, I. I it didn't affect me a bit. I was happy to see him go, but you know, later in my career, I, I didn't play for a team that had somebody get canned midway through when I was on it, but I've been in organizations that it has and the ripple effect. Uh, and a great example is New Jersey actually. Yeah. So my, my second year in the, in the devil's organization was 2010, 11, John McLean had been our coach in Lowell the previous season in the American hockey league. We made playoffs which like that hadn't happened for a devil's devil's affiliate in like a decade. Okay. And, and John McClain did a great job as our head coach. I really, really liked playing for John. I mean, he, he did, he was demanding of us. He was fair. He talked to us. He communicated. I just, I enjoy John McClain and he gets a head job in Jersey the next year and makes it to 
oh, I don't know, December 2nd, 3rd, 4th. And Lou gives him the vote of confidence. We're not doing anything. And then he fires him like Christmas Eve <laughs> or something. Yeah. And, um, and a lot of it was like, I know that John and, and Ilya Kovalchuk butted heads. And Kovalchuk was on the first year of his basically permanent contract. And that was that. It was just untenable. And that one really kind of hit me because I felt like John got a raw deal there straight up. I just, I just didn't think that it was a situation where he was built to succeed. Our team was aging in New Jersey at that point. Yeah. Uh, we just, we weren't good there. Uh, Marty Brodeur was hurt. Okay. Like I was called up for a while. So, I mean, I, <laughs> if Brodeur's out and I'm called up, the team's in trouble. <laughs> so <laughs> that's not true, but, but I just, that was one scenario where I felt like, man, this sucks. Like I, I, I wish we'd have done better for him. Cause I, I, I felt like he deserved more. Yeah. Um, but that's just, man, that's how it works with coaches. Like yeah. you're not going to play, for, you're not going to coach forever. You will be fired almost always. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny that you mentioned that because I remember being at the board of governors meetings that year and it's in Florida. So in fact, I think Frank Cervelli, our man, our mm-hmm. master is headed there <laughs> tonight to, for the board of governors. Um, and I remember having the conversation I mean, I don't want to overstate it. It wasn't like Lou and I were sitting down having a beer talking about it. But Mm -hmm. I remember having the conversation as Lou was trying to escape being questioned by the media about John McClain. And they were, and you're right, team was, they were struggling. And he was like, basically, all is calm, all is well. And it didn't take very long until it wasn't well for him. So, Um, all right, I'm going to take a brief break, as we always do during this podcast, my friend. To remind everyone that DoorDash is the proud sponsor of the Nation Network of podcasts, restaurants, and more delivered right to your door. That's what I got to say to you, my friend. (laughs) I I like to get that out there. Well, uh, I've got some commitments tonight, and I believe that uh, Mrs. McKenna and the kids are going to be DoorDashing it up with probably our local favorite type. We're we're rotating, Scott. It's between Thai, Chinese, and pizza. Okay. Yeah, those are our favorites, and uh, we're taking full advantage of it. I'm considering the premium subscription at this point. I think it'd probably work out well for our family. Oh, nice! I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, let's. I want to ask you um, about a guy that we both know pretty well from the uh, Dallas Stars organization, um, and we, we, you know, I know we were going to chat about how. I mean, the Stars are. I, I don't get that team, right? Like, I think we <laughs> talked about it earlier. Like, okay, they're very good. What's going to happen to Rick Bonus? I didn't, you know, that whole weird thing with Riley Tufty when they were in Minnesota and the kid buys all those tickets and then Rick. It was so out of character for that organization. (laughs) What's up with that? But you know what? And the weird part about that is um, they get crushed by Minnesota. And there's a certain amount of karma, at least in my mind, that it happens that way. But I don't think they've lost since. No. Uh, But they certainly have been on a tear. And, and, uh, you know, Rick's. He's a great guy. So I don't know what happened that day, but absolutely on fire. But, and we've talked about this periodically. There's this sub sub narrative in Dallas. They got four NHL goaltenders. The goaltending has been really sort of fluid, but mm-hmm. it looks to me now it's like Jake Ottinger, Braden Holpe. Those are the guys, but Ben Bishop's on a uh, conditioning stint in Texas I, you know, you just, he's such, you know, he's, he's a pro and he's had such a, a bad string in terms of the injuries. It, it my feel is from afar that we're, this is, you know, are we near the, 
this is the last shot at it. Like, I don't know what happens. Mm. And I don't know what happens. It, you know, if it works out, and we hope it does for Ben Bishop. Okay, what, what happens then? I, we already, I know certainly lots of rumors that Anton Hudobin is being shot as the fourth goaltender in that quadrangle. Is that even the word? But anyway, <laughs> I, I just, it, the whole Dallas thing makes, is, is interesting. And, and there's a real emotional connection, I think, with, with, with a guy like Ben Bishop, where you hope that he gets a chance to come back and play again. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, if you talk to Ben, it's I'm playing. I'm not done. Yeah, and last season I heard rumblings he may not play again. <laughs> you know, so like the pride in the player is determined to get back to winning and make a difference. And, and don't think it didn't sting for a second that he was out for the Stanley Cup run of the Dallas Stars a couple of years ago. Yeah, uh, he played and, the one game right and went right. Didn't go well in the and, playoffs. And then, you know, you look at his past success with the Tampa Bay Lightning and, but man, it's been a long time since he played meaningful games and weird and weird circumstances with COVID and, you know, the bubble and just, I'm not sure at this stage, like he's essentially missed like two years of hockey. It seems like even in two years, goaltending has changed. And I mean, he's, he's a guy who's always been able to adapt uh, he's got a great natural ability. I'm not sure what it's going to look like. I guess that's what it is. And I would never bet against Ben Bishop, though. I would never. He's a guy who's been consistent, who's always been able to perform when he needs. The only thing is that he's hurt. That's really what it's come down to. And, you know, you do wonder. He's had, I mean, he's, he had his knee operated on, I believe, in college or right after college, early in his career at the Peoria Riverman. Like, there's been continual processes of his body. I hope he does, but I don't know where it leads, man. Like Ottinger's, I don't think he can send Ottinger back at this point, but maybe you can. I, I mean, he'll be there next year, Scott, bottom line. But Hudobin's got one year left on his deal. Yeah. Hope he's a UFA. Bish, we don't know where he is in terms of his health and his playing ability. So it's actually pretty murky in Dallas when it comes to goaltending, despite them having great options because Holpe's been good. Ottinger's been fantastic. Hudobin has kind of just been left by the wayside. Yeah. So I, I'm I'm curious to see how it plays out. I, I really can't predict that one other than Jake Ottinger is in Dallas next year. That is my only prediction. Um, <laughs> way, to, way to take the safe road on that one. But Well, I know. I, I think I think Hudobin's going to get dealt. If, if you had to pick Holpe or Hudobin, I think it's Hudobin right now. That yeah, does. No, He's but- got a year left of cost certainty. Uh, He's been a performer previously. Somebody's going to want him. I mean, I mean, does Edmonton want him? We've heard those rumblings before. Does anybody, I don't know, somebody will. But that team in Dallas, man, like it started 10 games ago. Like they they had a closed-door meeting. They got beat by Nashville 4-2. to two. November 10th, they have a closed-door meeting. They send Blake Como down, who's an assistant captain. Like talk about shaking up the room. I know they needed some cap space, but that was a – for an organization that's damn loyal, that was a big yeah. move. Seven-game winning streak, like – Rope hints, 10 goals, 10 games. He's playing on a line with Pavelski and Jason Robertson. Pavelski and Sons, they're calling it. Credit to Brian Ray, the broadcaster Brian Ray and his wife Ashley, who coined that in Dallas. Oh, that's um, perfect. It's, yeah, Pavelski and Sons. So the ace of spades, Rope hints, is on fire. Still my daughter's favorite player. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but they're playing, you know, their defensive structure's better. PK is more aggressive. Heiskanen is having an undercover fantastic year. I mean, he pretty much single hand single handedly shut down Connor McDavid a week and a yes. half ago. I, I remember what, it was an outstanding. Well, I mean, what's it again? I don't know whether statement games. Yeah. I feel like to throw those out, but I, I, to me, that's a statement game because it's 
it, it is it's a natural thing, right? You've got this young kid and you got to, you know, is Dallas for real? You're playing the mighty Oilers. Oh, it was, I thought it was a real, you know, I thought it was a statement game for Mira yeah. Haskin. And so, so I don't know where it goes for Dallas, man, but I think this is a team that at least puts himself in contention again. It's weird. Ben Bishop has one more year left on his deal. 4.9 million. He's got a limited, um, no trade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird. Uh, here's the other, before we move on from Dallas, the, the guy that I'm so curious, because if this team is what they've shown now, if they're a playoff team, and I think they are a playoff team. Um, you know, when people forget two years ago, they, they went to a Stanley cup final. I know last year was a train wreck because of COVID, but you know, there's lots to like about that team, that back end. People don't get how good Essa Lindell is. So solid. I loved playing behind him. Like I felt so comfortable playing behind Asa Lindell. Yeah. Well, and to me again, come playoff time, you look at the players, Jamie Ben's never going to put up the numbers he did when he won the scoring title. I think that's obvious now. But again, playoff time, you know, the heavy game, Joe Pavelski's the ultimate playoff guy, Essa Lindell. But I'm so, you know, John Klingberg to me is that interesting figure on that team because he's in a contract year. Mm-hmm. We've got Haskin and he's already locked up for the long haul as he should be. He's the cornerstone. He's the future of that team, especially on the blue line. Man, what do you what do you do? What do you what do you do if you're Jim Nill? I mean, like to me, maybe it's an maybe it's just he's a known rental. You you, you understand he's he needs to get paid because he deserves to get paid. Even though I, I don't think he scored this year yet, but yeah. he's and he's been on a pretty friendly deal, by the way. That was a value deal oh, for the stars, absolutely. And so he and you know that John wants to get paid as he should, but it, I don't know if he can get paid in Dallas. I guess that's my ultimate point. Yeah. And then do you just play out the string and in July, you just say, Hey, no hard feelings. Good, good luck to you. I don't, I don't know. But to me, he's like, he's a real part of an important part of the fabric of that team. I think so. And I think having a secondary weapon of offensive ability is huge. Even if he hasn't scored Klingberg still, I mean, any ask, ask any goalie in the NHL and they'll tell you he's one of the best in the league at filtering shots through from the point, which agree. Yeah. It seems like a skill you wouldn't think of. Right. But it's tangible. You know, I I mean, I remember having this conversation with a friend of mine last season and I specifically asked him, hey, because I was doing a piece on Shea Theodore and I think he's excellent at finding lanes, moving his feet at the blue line, sifting pucks through. I was like, hey, who else around the league is really good at this? And he instantly said right away, like Klingberg, uh, Spurgeon in Minnesota. And and I can't remember the other. There's a couple others, but Klingberg was like immediate. And I I just I know at four point two five, that's an undervaluation of him. I wonder if John Klingberg, if you give him enough term at a reasonable hit, if he won't stay put. Yeah. Because I, Dallas is a great place to play, man. It, it, it's a fantastic place to play. And I think that's a pretty tight team in that room. I think that there's a good culture there. I know that players around the league really see it as a destination. I mean, look at Pavelski and Suter. There's enough to tell you right there. They wanted yeah. to be there. So I, I think that that could, I think Klingberg could still end up in Dallas. But I think it's going to have to take some fancy manipulating and convincing to do so. Yeah. Um, but I tell you what, if I'm if I'm Jim Nill, I do everything I can to keep him there. That's for sure. Yeah. All right, we're getting near the end. It's been great. What? What's we what's could have done three hours. We could have. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I well, think I've been very restrained. I know as Pierre LeBron, who was on a couple of weeks ago, like you know, long winded questions. I get it. Um, what else? <laughs> what else is on your mind? What do you? Is there a team? A player? What? What's? Are you like? 
Wow. And, and I'll let you think about it, but I can tell you, and I'll ask it as a question. I keep watching the New York Rangers. And I see they moved. They were ahead of Carolina now at the top, at the top end of the Metro Washington still in first and mm-hmm. played some more games. Um, but I'm like, I, are the New York Rangers, is that, I mean, are they that good? Like they're, like I, I, I had them total bubble team. Not yeah. sure. We'll see. And even with Shesterkin out, they continue to win. I don't know, you know, Gerard Gallant. I mean, I just love what that team does. And they, and now they're doing it all kinds of ways. Some nights they blow you out. Some nights they win a two, one game. I, I'm, are you sold on the Rangers? Well, this is a team that I will gladly I'll slap myself on the back. I had them picked, I think to finish second in their cop in their division. Nice. Um, yep. You are visionary. I, uh, yeah. Re- well, I blew it on a couple. I'll tell you that for free. Um, but I do think the Rangers are real. I think they have a ton of talent. I think they're playing with more heart than I've seen in a long time. Look at the, again, that game last night against the Blackhawks was to talk about a come together game. Okay. Um, but they've had a pretty easy schedule for the last 10 and you know, you've, I, I, I'm not going to go down the list of who they've played, but it's been a little bit different than some of the other teams. <laughs> okay. We'll put it that way. Right. Um, I, but I don't think that we should put as much stock into scheduling as we do sometimes. Like they're winning period. And they continue to win. Um, I do think they've been covered up by Shishirkin though. You know, yeah. they've, they've won recently again, schedule hasn't been great. Your gives got enough saves, but he hasn't been very good this season. No. Yeah. So I think they've gotten better goaltending than almost everybody in the league. They have found ways to score, but they are pretty loose. Um, and in a lot of ways, they do mimic what Gerard Gallant did in Vegas. I mean, Vegas was pretty loose at times, but Mark andre Fleury covered up for it. Yeah. I, I see a lot of similarities there. I would not put it past the Rangers to make a deep playoff run. And at, I mean, when you have Adam Fox, like <sighs> McCarr, Fox, like, man, these guys are just unbelievable. They're so good. So I think the Rangers are real. Uh, I, I don't know if they're peaky and real. Mm-hmm. If they tighten up, they could be. But I'll tell you, Scott, a team that I think is I think is 100% real that flies under everybody's radar is the Minnesota Wild. Yeah. Like, and they even have a star player in Kirill, Kirill Kaprizov now. Yeah, and true. we still just – it's like people don't want to believe that the Minnesota Wild are really leading – their division by a solid seven points over well, the St. Louis Blues. They just crushed the Oilers last night. Like just, yes, they don't, it doesn't matter who they play. They, you know, they're, they are the real deal. I think, yes. like, I, I just think that I think they absolutely are. They've I, won I'm seven straight. Yeah. You know, they've gotten pretty good goaltending. It hasn't been phenomenal, but Cam Talbot's been pretty good. Kakanen has been off, but like, their goal differential is plus 24. Like this team is good, dude. Like Zuccarello's play. He's always like point a game. You wrote about Ryan Hartman. Yeah. You know, like, did you sense from Hartman that there was a belief in that locker room that this was real? I mean, I think so. And like, I got to like, to me, I think there's sort of, maybe there's like, I certainly got a sense from Ryan Hartman, you know, a little chip on the shoulder. Mm-hmm. You know, he's been on what this is fourth team. Underdog mentality, prove them wrong mentality. Well, and again, and I think it goes back to, you know, early on in our uh, suitcase and the scribe uh, uh, history, we had Bill Guerin on the GM in Minnesota. And, you know, we talk about the, you know, the decision to buy out Zach Parisi and Ryan Suter at the same time. 
and it's you know they're going to have to pay they're they're going to pay a price for mm-hmm. the you know with against the cap for the next two or three years. It's not as bad this year, but the next two or three years it's going to be difficult for them. But to me, they like what they have created there. They're going to be able to ride this out, and I, I don't know. I think Bill really believed in his heart that it needed to be done, and that in that room there was a personality and an identity that would be able to shine and but these the players needed they need to make those moves right and i and i and the proof is there like wow if it had gone the other way people have been okay you know like i don't think it would have been surprised right if they were right you know five points out of a playoff spot yeah so yeah. I, I mean, I'm with they you. were they pushed Vegas to the limit last year in playoffs game seven and Minnesota. And that was all season long. Minnesota was the one team that gave the Vegas Golden Knights all kinds of fits. And the Golden Knights were really good in the regular season last year. Really good. Yeah. And Minnesota had their number. I like how they play. They're heavy. Uh, they, they have skill. They can play on the power. But like I'm I'm very bullish on Minnesota. Uh, last thing on my mind all right. has to do with the Boston Bruins. Oh, Yeah. And this week we saw somebody hop back in the cage for a full practice and people are banding about the turn emergency backup. And I'll tell you right now, Tuka Rask is nobody's emergency backup. <laughs> Scotty, <laughs> I got to ask you, bud, you think Tuka Rask is just hopping out there for the fun of it just to get some reps? What do you think? No, I, I think, I mean, I don't know where he's at physically. And, and I think, you know, when, when, he is coming off of a major hip surgery, so yeah. he's still in the rehab phase. Right, and we knew the timeline. I think I think the initial timeline was what late December, early January. Um, he, listen, I, I'm fascinated to see how the Bruins make how they respond to this because it took Rask and made it pretty clear he doesn't want to play anywhere else. No. You know, maybe push comes to shove. Maybe does he change his mind if 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 they can't come to an agreement in Boston? I mean, I'm not sure. You know, you got Linus Allmark, you've got um, Jeremy Swayman, but this is a Bruins team that has been. We've talked about them, sort of meandering. Still got to deal with the Jake DeBrusque thing. Tuka Rask is he's part of the. We talked about the fabric of a team, a part of their identity. Tuka Rask is a Bruin. That's who he is, uh, and I think he. I think he is the kind of guy, if they can find a way to to make it work for him and assuming good health, that team jumps right in. They're out, out, they've played fewer games, so it's a little bit misleading. To me, they're a playoff team with, with Tuka Rask. Yep. Agree? Disagree? They're four points out of playoffs right now. He would win them two more games. Okay. Simple as that. Allmark has been not great. He hasn't been terrible. But, man... Boston Bruins have been used to 920 save percentage goaltending for a decade. Yeah. And they haven't gotten that. And, you know, I, I'm, I, I believe in Jeremy Swayman. He will be, I mean, he is, he is an NHL goaltender, but he's been wildly inconsistent this year. He's been so streaky, you know, and and that's where like, this is typical of young goaltenders, especially Swayman's played now, I don't know, 25 pro games, 30 pro games. Like, He lit up the American League for nine games. Great job. I've seen some really bad goalies light up the American League for nine games. And I'm not taking anything away from him. No, I know. My point, though, is that you're still basically dealing with a college goaltender finding his way in pro hockey. But that goalie is outplaying your $5 million guy in Linus Olmark. Yeah. And that's that's a problem, man. And that's where 
like, I don't think Rask is going to come back and say, I need 8 million bucks or I'm not playing. Like at this stage of the game, he's got enough sheets in the bank. He just wants to win a Stanley cup. Yeah. And to me, that's what it comes down to. Boston will have the cap space if they want to have it. They'll, they'll find a way with Rask if he wants to play. And Scott, I think he's playing. I, I will say now, I think Rask plays before the end of the year as Boston Bruin. Well, and I mean, the other you know, factor for, and we, there are a number of players who are in this sort of boat, you know, coming back from injuries or who have recently been injured and are, you know, Mitch Marner's a guy mm. talked about with Toronto, but is out now for a number of weeks with the Olympics looming. Like, you know, if, if, if Tuka Rask is, is healthy, he's he's the guy right yeah he's going man (laughs) yeah so there's a lot of there's there's some moving parts to all of this uh i am a big i'm a big fan because i i love i love his honesty and i love you know he's there's some difficult times he left the bubble Uh, listen i i got all kinds of time for for tuka rask and and i know there's been a love you know the whatever the relationship he has with the bruins fans he's He's the real deal. And he's handled I, as well as you could imagine, because oh, if absolutely. you're not, if you're not Tim Thomas, you're a bum in that city. Well, yeah, exactly. which is insane because Duke <laughs> Rask has been a he's top been three man. goalie in the NHL for a decade. Absolutely. So here's, I, I'm with you. I, they'll be bear watching for you and I in, in the coming weeks. So, um, all right. Oh my gosh. So always so much fun, my friend. And I can't wait to see what unfolds between now and next week when we meet once again, but I hope you have a great week and great work by you as always. Same to you. And you just, you look so festive today with the, the Christmas the tree, tree and you know, the Yuletide season. Maybe I'll dress up the, the old home studio closet for next week. I'll put some yeah, lights we, up or something. We get a couple of weeks before yeah. right on top of it. So yeah, let's see. I, I, I'm not challenging you, but I don't know. Got a tree today. Let's see what you come up with. We'll see what we can. Maybe some reindeer antlers. <laughs> I love great it. job, Scott. All right, brother. Take care. Thanks for listening to The Suitcase and The Scribe, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 